When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is More Money with economist Steve Moore. Now, Steve Moore. It's More Money with leading economist Steve Moore. Now, here's your host, Steve Moore. Welcome back, folks. This is the More Money Show on WABC Talk Radio, the number one talk radio station in these United States. And I'm very privileged to have as my next guest, David Bonson. David's a good friend, but he's also one of the smartest financial analysts in the country. And David is um, the founder and managing partner of the Bonson Group. He has over $4 billion under management. And one of my favorite things that David has done is he has written a book called There's No Such Thing as a Free Lunch. And I love that book. It's a, By the way, it's an actually an excellent last-minute Christmas present. It's a great stocking stuffer. All sorts of really great economic sayings and lessons in that book. So, David... Uh, Merry Christmas. Thanks so much for joining us uh, this afternoon. Well, Merry Christmas, Steve. Thanks so much for having me. So let's get right to it. A lot of people lost a lot of money this last week, including myself, (laughs) with this crazy stock market. The market's now down. I was looking at these numbers. um, Now, the year isn't over yet, but right now it looks like the NASDAQ's down by more than 30%. Dow and S&P down roughly 10 to 15%. Um, what do you think caused this big sell-off that happened in a, in the uh, on Thursday and Friday? Yeah, so basically the Dow's down 10 on the year, the S&P's down 20 on the year, the Nasdaq's down 30 on the okay. year, and, it, and actually the Nasdaq's down even a little more than that. Yeah. So it's, it, it's kind of a real proportional move as each index's risk profile goes up, the returns have been lower. Uh, you know, the, 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 all three markets are actually up quite a bit this quarter, um, yes. but they've given some of that back this week. Um, and you know what's interesting is you were up 500 points in the market on Monday, and then the market in the, uh, when the CPI number came out was up over 800 points. Mm-hmm. It ended up that day only up 100. So it gave back 700. Mm-hmm. Then it has gone down about 1,000 points since the Fed's announcement. And so if you go from how good things were Mm -hmm. to where they are, it's given back, you know, 1,800 points. We're just stuck in a trading range here, Steve, and we've been there for a while. And Mm -hmm. I'll tell you, we're going to be here for a while more. And And it is not merely because of everything is bad or we're going into recession or Biden's terrible or Powell is terrible. All those things can be true or not true. But the, the reality is the market is just very unlikely to have another decade like it did last decade. And I think that um, that's the byproduct of a boom bust cycle that this Fed has us in is now we all think it's terrible when the market's down a couple thousand points. But, you know, we don't think anything of it when it's up a couple thousand. Mm. I, would, I want the Fed out of the market. I, yeah. I want the Fed as a lender of last resort, having very little to do with the business cycle. And we rely on the Fed to boom up the asset prices in our economy. And it's not good. Yeah, I, the way I put it is that Wall Street has kind of been become addicted to this cheap money. 
and they don't like it when uh, when Jerome Powell takes the punch ball away. But the thing that I thought found curious uh, about what happened this week is after the uh, Fed's announcement, you know, which was pretty expected. I mean, I thought it was kind of priced into the market already that they were going to have this fifty basis point increase, and yet you saw you know a pretty a pretty dramatic fall after that. What what, what do you think is going on there? Yeah, well, actually, if I thought it was only about the Fed raising rates 50 basis points, I'd be pretty confused. But it didn't go down after that announcement. It went down the next day. Why is that? And you had a a couple hours afterwards where, you know, it kind of bounced around a bit. Did something happen? Did something happen, uh, you know, after the Fed made its announcement that might have reversed the course? I think in your very initial couple hours, this is something your and mine's mutual friend Judy Shelton talks about a lot. Uh-huh. Um, you get all the people who were front running the Fed have to get kind of washed out. So you get this financialization where people are not investing into productive economic activity. <laughs> right. Right. They're they're investing into trying to guess what other people right. are going to guess. Right. And so that kind of gets traded out in the first few hours, and then the next day, what happened is. Europe followed suit. I think that that, that's the problem in this sort of currency war is Europe can't afford to manage their own monetary policy because the dollar strengthens too much and the Mm -hmm. euro weakens too much. So they end up having to go tighter than they want to go to keep up with us being tighter. And and that is what I think the market was largely responding to. Um, and then, you know, are, is the Fed perhaps going to go a little higher than people expect? I don't think they're going to. I think that they're, you know, very near the terminal rate. Uh, I think it'll it'll peak out somewhere around five percent. But um, the, the that's an uncertainty that still has to linger. And at the end of the day, should those who make goods and services and those of us in the business community, should we really care if the Fed funds rate is five percent or four and three quarters? Right. No, we shouldn't. Right. But we have to right now because that's how investors are all aligned. So one of the things you said earlier, you know, that we you know, obviously the last decade has been a great decade for the stock market. Well, especially after the big you know, crash we had um, in, in 2008. But, um, and then you said, well, we shouldn't expect another decade like that. But let me challenge you on that because, you know, I, when I got started in, in the economics business in the early 80s was right when the market really, you know, remember the Dow hit a low at, what, 800 or something like that. And then it just went, it went on this incredible two-decade-long bull market until 2008. So why can't we have another bull market decade? Well, we certainly could have another bull market decade, but not at 16% per year. Because the fact of the matter is that 70%, Steve, 70% of the market's return after the financial crisis was multiple expansion, meaning valuations going higher as interest rates were being held down at 0%. So you can get revenue growth in a market economy, and you can get um, profit growth in a market economy. And we got it in spades in the market-friendly uh, environment of the Reagan 80s and the Clinton 90s. Right, right. Um, but we cannot get that level of growth from a 17 times multiple. Right. When Reagan took office, we were at nine times. <laughs> okay. Right, right, right. So the right. valuations are too high. And, and that's been created by the Fed. So uh, 
I would. I want to make this contention, and may, I want to see kind of how you react to it. Um, I've been saying that you know the big job right now of bringing inflation down from its current rate of seven point one percent to the target that I think is the appropriate one of two percent. That that the Fed isn't really the main actor here. That we need to have government spending reductions, and we've we pumped four trillion dollars of what I call. Uh, helicopter money into the economy, and I I believe that that was the sort of match that lit this forest fire of you know, inflation that got as high as nine percent. And I wonder what you think about that. How important is fiscal policy in terms of getting this inflation down? Well, unsurprisingly, we're very close to agreeing, but there is a little difference okay. in, in my point of view. A hundred percent agreement on the first part about the Fed. Um, I, as a matter of fact, if I'll promote my own investment writing, dividendcafe.com today um, and, through, you know, the, the, it's a weekly deal. So as everyone's hearing this, it's uh, available at dividendcafe.com. It's all about what the cause of our inflation was and therefore how we need to think about the remedy of the inflation. And I think that things with housing were definitely primed up by the Fed. And so some of the housing correction is going to be largely in the Fed's portfolio. But I don't think the Fed had anything to do with getting people back to work and getting mm-hmm. uh, trucks delivering products. You and I both heard Fred Smith talk about uh, Federal right. Express losing 41,000 workers that <laughs> handle packages. Right. That's not a Fed-related, that's not a monetary-related right. matter. Right. So I don't think that the Fed funds rate at 5% or 10% makes a bit of difference to supply-related issues. But when you bring up the Fed spending, and and look, I'm, I'm I try to be as nonpartisan as I can, right. even though I'm a movement conservative. Right. President Trump wanted that two thousand dollars spending he thing did. too. Right. And and he was wrong. Yeah. And by the way, the, just to you know, we had a trillion dollar spending bill two months before Biden came into office, yeah. and then we had the deluge of additional spending on top of that. So you're quite right. And 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 so when they passed that, I thought this was silly. It was unnecessary. Larry Summers was screaming it would be inflationary. But my view is that what it would do is give a sugar high that people go out and spend it at their local bar and restaurant now that we were reopened. And then we'd go back to the same Japan-like characteristic of low velocity, and that money would sit uh, and, and uh, not be put to productive use. And that's exactly what has happened. And and I think that the fiscal side we need is not only we permanently need less spending, but we need less spending because we need a lower size of government right. so that we can have a bigger private sector to more efficiently allocate capital and to have a more productive economy. That's, to me, the biggest challenge we have is getting a more productive economy. Well, you're right that my, uh, great minds do think alike. I, I, I was uh, saying what a lot of what you were saying on uh, Kudlow's, Larry Kudlow's TV show this week where I said, you know, we need to shrink the government size and grow the private sector size. And, I, and my worry is that what we've seen is some crowding out of private investment and private activity by this big deluge of government spending. And we've been seeing it since the financial crisis, yes. which is why this inflation story has become kind of an interruption from the bigger narrative that is stuff like, you and I have been thinking about talking about writing about for decades, government spending inevitably crowds out the private sector for the very simple mathematical reason 
that they don't have any money. The only money they get is money they extract from the private sector. Now, we have to have a government. There's some legitimate function for what they're going to spend money on. But every dollar they spend above and beyond their legitimate function is a dollar that comes from a productive use that could be inventing new medicines, building new factories, innovating Mm -hmm. new technologies. That's where the money comes from to fund excess government. So by definition, it's an extraction from the private sector. And and I think you and I feel the exact same way about it. I'm talking to David Bonson, who's one of the financial experts in this country. Uh, He is the author of a great book um, called There's No Such Thing as a Free Lunch. And I love that book. And uh, before we take, can you stay over for one more segment, David? Do you have time? I'd be happy to. Okay. So before we take our break, uh, we've got about 90 seconds left. Um, are we headed to a recession? Is it inevitable that we're going to have a recession in 2023? Well, the the answer is it is virtually inevitable. But what I won't do is say that if profits don't go down and, and job losses don't go up, that then say, well, yeah, we did have a recession. It was just one where people didn't lose jobs and profits didn't go down. Right, <laughs> okay. Right. I mean, a recession is where job losses go up and profits go down. And if it doesn't happen, then we don't have a recession. But I think the yield curve is telling us as clear as could be. It doesn't tell us how severe of one we're going to have, but it is telling us we're going to have one. And that's sort of the big question. And, and mark so, in what, 2023. What, so this is a money show for our listeners. So just very quickly, then, under that scenario, what do you then recommend uh, people do to prepare for that and protect their money? Well, the most likely scenario, in my opinion, and this is a little bit more bullish, and so people who like bearishness might be offended. <laughs> Steve, it's possible the market already priced it in. Right, right, it's enti- right. It's entirely possible if you have a – I want people to think back to the 2002 recession right. during George W. Bush. Yep. The dot-com people got hammered. Uh, 9-11 was awful for everybody for a few months, but really, most people didn't even know we had a recession. It ended up being very thin and mild. That is a possibility here. I would not uh, say it's an assured outcome. Uh, the Fed is going to have to you know, put the brakes on here from this tightening pretty soon if that is going to be their soft landing scenario. But that's not an impossibility. Um, but it, you know, the, that's probably the most likely given the fact that out of those Trump tax cuts and, and out of the pre-COVID reality, we had a pretty healthy economy. There were not enough imbalances to create a major recession here unless, unless some really bad things So happen. now is not a time to sell. Now is not a time to sell, but it may be a good time to realign what you yeah, own. Yeah. I am always a big fan <laughs> of owning more high-quality, right. uh, let's say, dividend-type stocks versus um, you know, more speculative stocks and, and, and crypto and, and new tech and other you know, kind of more bubble fad-type things. Okay. When we come back, David, I'd like to, I want to talk to you about your book. And it's one of my favorite economic books, and I want you to tell us some stories uh, about that book and some of your favorite stories that are in that book. We'll be right back. This is Stephen Moore. This is The More Money Show. This is WABC Talk Radio. This is More Money with economist Steve Moore. Now, Steve Moore. Welcome back, folks. This is The More Money Show. Uh, I am talking to one of the top financial experts in the country, and David Bonson. And David, I want to shift gears if I could. Uh, I, tell us about what inspired you 
you to write the book uh, and, and you know how some of the stories and where did you get them and what are what are the ones that important lessons in that book? Well, I, it's funny. I um, have kind of switched around some of my favorites uh, in the aftermath of the book coming out because there are certain ones that on, on various days really hit home. I think the very title itself, No Free Lunch, and Milton Friedman's yep. you know, great reminder to us about economics being a story of trade-offs mm-hmm. and, and it being captured in that title. I love that lesson because I think that when we ignore or forget that economics is essentially about scarcity right. and how we allocate scarce resources. When we ignore that kind of grown-up reality, we start doing things like thinking we can just give everyone $2,000 out of nowhere or that we can do modern monetary theory and, and have a central bank play the role of God. And, and so the fact that there are trade-offs really humble us as economists and force us to remember that when it comes to allocating scarcity, you want people who have incentives and you want people who have knowledge making those decisions. And that's why I value an entrepreneurial uh, society and, and, and one in which you know people have a lot of risk and a lot of reward uh, at their own hands and not trying to use government to soften economic activity. So you're telling me that Jerome Powell is not God. <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you, Jerome Powell's not God, and, and that, that, that is not just because I don't like what he may do. I, there's no person. I love Judy Shelton, but I don't want Judy Shelton to be God either, right? I love you and Larry Kudlow and Steve Forbes, Art Laffer. I don't want any of them to be God. I want all of us to wake up and, and, and do what Ludwig von Mises, who's also heavily quoted in my book, what he talked about. I want humans to wake up and act. There's because a, I think God made us with the capacity to act rationally, to act in our own self-interest, and at the same time to serve humanity. That When we get up and act in our own self-interest, we're making goods and services that enhance the quality of life for other people. I think that's a wonderful economic order, and it makes for great social cooperation as well. Well, I, I said that only half-jokingly because I do think that it, it's almost like a temple at the, uh, at the Federal Reserve. And they act as if they do have godlike powers, but they make all sorts. They're human. They make all sorts of mistakes. David, they've got what three hundred PhD economists over there, and they continue to to make mistakes. So you're right; they are not godlike. I mean, how can they? Remember, last year they said inflation was was transitory. Well, and and there's a long history of um, the Fed making mistakes on things. Right. And I always want to point out, I'm not critical that they make a mistake. Because I think all people are going to make mistakes. I'm critical that we've asked them to do things that no one should be doing if right. they're prone to mistakes. I totally you know, agree. That we can set prices on the cost of capital ourselves. Uh, that's David Bonson. David, thank you so much for uh, joining us this afternoon. Get his book, No Free Lunch. Uh, we will be right back. This is WABC Talk Radio. It is the More Money Show. This is More Money with economist Steve Moore. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that 
Precious Metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com. 